2 Kings chapter 4, reading a portion that many of you are familiar with. Verse 1 says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen, or basically to be sold as slaves to pay the debt. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thy handmaid has not anything in the house, save or except for a pot of oil. And he said, Go, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and thou shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. It came to pass that when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed, or it stopped flowing. And then she came, told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Amen. This is a story that some of us have known since we were children in Sunday school. Some of us may not be as familiar with it, but the widow in this story was in great distress. It seems that the prophet Elijah knew her husband and her family, and that her husband had possibly been in a group of men that worked together with the prophet, referred to as the sons of the prophets. And this man's premature death had left the widow without a provider. And whether the debt that she owed was debt that he had acquired or whether it was a product of her not having any income, her debt had reached a point where her sons were going to be sold as slaves to repay the debt. Now, when you understand the culture of the day, her grief was greater than simply a mother losing her sons, which is a pretty uh, powerful grief to begin with. But the widow's survival was also at stake because her sons, as they grew, would be responsible to work and to take care of their widowed mother. They didn't have uh, son length. They didn't have any kind of government support. They didn't have any of the things that we are furnished with in the society that we live in. And so it wasn't just the grief of losing her children, but potentially her own life as well as a result. And then when Elisha, the prophet, asked the widow, what have you got in the house? She basically, I haven't really got anything except for a pot of oil. Now, those of you that know your Bibles may be connecting that to a story that took place in 1 Kings in chapter 17, where Elisha's mentor, Elijah, found himself with another widow woman in a place called Zarephath, in the middle of a famine and he asked that woman for a drink and she went to get him a drink and while she was going he said bring me a little bit of bread bring me something to eat and that widow woman turned to Elijah and said I've only got a handful of meal and a little bit of oil in a vessel and I'm going to make a cake and I'm going to feed my son and myself and then that's it we're going to lie down and we're going to die and this man of God we know gave her a request that to us seemed unreasonable, uh, lacking in compassion. And he said, feed me first. 
Now, he was in a bad way. He was, he was at the end of his strength as well. But because he was a prophet, that widow trusted the instruction of the prophet. She did what she was asked to do. She fed the man of God. And when she went back to the container or the bowl or the vessel where the meal was and the bottle where the oil was, there was still some more there. And the Bible lets us know that that little bit of meal and that little bit of oil kept somehow miraculously renewing throughout the rest of that famine. And I'm maybe making an assumption here, but it's possible that Elisha had heard that story when he'd been under the oversight and the training of Elijah. And so when this woman said, I've got a bottle of oil, maybe something triggered in Elisha's heart and in his memory. And so he gives her this instruction because for Elisha it was another opportunity to ask the question, where is the God of Elijah? As he had when he got his mentor's mantle. So he instructed her to collect all the empty vessels from her neighbors, to close the door and to begin to pour into those empty vessels. And she poured out of that one pot of oil until her sons said there were no more vessels. And that's when the oil stopped. Now I referenced this passage just recently, but we use this passage often to draw parallels or examples or principles usually involving the fact that we need to have an expectancy that we need to be like an empty vessel coming expecting to be filled and that our desire our hunger our thirst for the lord impacts the flow of his spirit and i believe that's a scriptural principle jesus said in john 7 the bible says that he stood in that last day of the feast and he said if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink, for as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The condition was, are you thirsty? It wasn't about the availability of water, but the thirst controlled the flow. And we know that that's a principle in our lives. You know, the Old Testament says that, that the full soul, or somebody who's had enough or too much to eat, loathes the honeycomb. In other words, even though honeycomb was considered a delicacy, because they're full, they don't want any. But to the hungry soul, Every bitter thing is sweet. You'll be amazed what you'll eat when you're hungry. And there's a principle there in our walk with God that our desire, our thirst, has a lot to do with the flow. Jesus said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The issue again was those, if they hunger, that's the issue, not the provision not the ability for them to be filled, but it is the hunger and the thirst that control that. And I believe that this is a biblical principle. But what I feel as though the Lord laid upon my heart, and I was going to say this morning, but the Lord's been dealing with me about this message since before I got to minister's retreat. And it's a challenge that I want to bring from the Lord to the church this morning. And this is the question. Are there really no more vessels? Are there really no more vessels? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, it's your word. It's your spirit. And we ask you, Lord, that you would move among us this morning, that you would stir us, that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would even make us a little uncomfortable if we need it. Lord God, I pray. Lord, just have your way in this place this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The miracle 
of the widow's pot of oil. It preserved her sons, saved their lives. It paid a debt that she could not pay. And it provided for her future, at least in the short term. Their situation went from being hopeless, from being desperate. In a relatively short period of time, it changed into being salvation, redemption, and provision. And when they woke up the next day, their whole world had been changed. Just a matter of hours before, those boys lived in fear of being sold to who knows who, to do who knows what, because of a debt that wasn't really their responsibility. They were delivered from poverty and from that fear of being sold as slaves. There was food on the table, and there was even a little money in the bank. That was how dramatically that situation had transformed. How dramatically God was able to miraculously step into what we perceive as hopelessness, provide hope and provide their needs and deliver them from slavery. But I want to take the parallel a little bit further this morning. You see, according to the Scripture, you and I are vessels. We are vessels. We are filled with something. There is something that fills our life. And if you've been born again of water and spirit, then you are filled with the Holy Ghost. You are filled with the Spirit of God. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said that when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we have a treasure, something that is valuable, something that you cannot just get your hands on easily, but we have a treasure in earthen vessels. We are made... Genesis tells us out of the dust of the ground. Man was formed out of the dust of the ground. We are vessels of clay. But the Lord, through His goodness and His provision, has placed His Spirit, that treasure, in us as earthen vessels. That's why we sing that old song, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. It's not about the lamp. It's about what's in the lamp that provides the light. That's why Peter said on the day of Pentecost that it will come to pass in the last day, saith the Lord, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. There's an image of one vessel pouring into another. And that's what happens because when the Lord fills us with his spirit, he is imparting some of himself into us. And these clay vessels become filled with a treasure. Amen. There was a time... When my vessel was empty and your vessel was empty, but somebody came to us. Somebody came looking for us. You see, the Bible lets us know in Galatians, I think it's about the fourth chapter, that the church is referred to as being a type of a spiritual mother for believers. You can read that later if you're not familiar with that. I'm happy to, to show you where that is. But somebody came to us when we were empty vessels, brought us to the house, brought us to the place where the pot of oil was, and gave us the opportunity to go from being empty to being filled with something that has a value that you can put no price on. Amen. Amen. You and I have got living treasure in our souls. I'm going to say that again because some of you don't realize what you have. You have living treasure. In your soul. You have something alive in you that cannot be purchased, that cannot be bartered for, that you cannot earn by merit, but it comes by the grace of God and through obedience to the gospel. 
Hallelujah. We have Jesus poured into us. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Spirit of the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. You know, my daughter's been sick for the last week or two, and she's had a few different things going on. But one of the things that she, she had was, was covered we were in the state she was covered from head to toe with these hives that was she was scratching like crazy and i'm going to get in trouble for telling this story but she's not here and we were staying in touch with her and messaging backwards and forwards and she went to the doctor and and she got some medication and she got some lotion for these hives and she messaged me and she said this lotion is like jesus in a bottle because of the relief that it was bringing her. And I said, that's a little disrespectful, but I get where you're coming from. And that's what it's like when you're filled with the whole. You are a vessel that has Jesus in you. You are a vessel that has the Spirit of the living God in you, and you are able to minister that to other people and to bring them comfort and to bring them relief. But they need to be brought to the house, and they need to be filled with the Spirit of God themselves. Amen. You see, the widow's sons stopped bringing vessels they said there were no more they had found it would seem a lot of vessels but the question is how far did they go their neighborhood the village don't know how big a place it was they lived whether it was a small town or a bigger town but at some point they decided that was enough they could have gone there would have been more vessels if they had traveled further that's just common sense but they said well we feel like we've covered a big enough area we've got the vessels so therefore there is no more amen they considered that they brought enough and once the oil was sold and the debt was paid the crisis was averted and comfort came to their home and uh, the challenge again this morning is are there really no more vessels have we become comfortable in the house have we become comfortable in the house because our debts are paid we're not in threat of slavery we've been delivered from sin been saved from the consequences of sin and look around we have a nice building we don't owe any money on the building we thank the lord for that we've got a nice group of people well i think most of you are nice at least some of you are still working on it including me but it's a comfortable congregation. We've got different ministries here for different groups. We've got youth and Sunday school and men's and ladies and Bible school and new converts class and all these things going on. And But we've got to be careful that we don't become so busy going about the affairs of the house. Are there really no more vessels? Are there really no more vessels? John chapter 4, if you would turn there with me. I'm not going to preach for long. Feel this very strongly from the Lord this morning. If it makes you feel a little uncomfortable, that's okay. Don't take it as condemnation, learn to identify conviction. They're not the same thing. John chapter 4 and verse 35. Jesus said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. See, that's the natural calendar, natural time between sowing and reaping. But he said, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, 
but they are white already to harvest. There's a few things I want to point out from this passage of Scripture. Firstly, let's consider the context. You read the, the earlier portion of John chapter 4. Jesus has just been at Sychar in Samaria. Jacob's well was there, and he sat down the heat of the day, and if you read the story, you'll see that there was a Samaritan woman that came out, a woman whose life was something that she probably had a fair bit of shame because of. She was immoral. She was a sinner, just like you and me. She came out when the other ladies weren't coming out because she didn't want to deal with the way that they looked at her, the way they spoke about her because of her immorality, and she came out thinking that there would be no one to bother her, and yet when she gets to the well, there's this Jewish man sitting on the well, sitting on the edge of the well, and the conversation begins to take place, and he says, give me to drink, and she says, how is it that you being a Jew asks me a Samaritan for water? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, and she more or less, you know, and then he says, well, if you knew who it was that's speaking to you, you would ask of him living water? And he would give you water that you would not thirst again. You wouldn't have to come back to this well. And then she says, where do you get this water from? You haven't even got a bucket. And he begins to speak to her about the Holy Ghost. And, and then he begins to reveal to her details of her life that he could have only known miraculously. And she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. It's like, yeah, really? That wasn't real hard to work out. He just told you your life story. But in this conversation that goes backwards and forwards... The Lord speaks to her of living water for her vessel. But then he's also quite rude to her in our understanding. Because in verse 22, he says, You worship, you know not what. You don't even know who you worship. For we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. He says, basically, you don't even qualify. You're mixed race. And just about every one of us here is mixed race if you go back far enough. But he said, salvation belongs to the Jews, to the people of Israel. It's ours. And he's making a statement that if, if somebody came to you and, and said, I'm sorry, but because of your heritage, you can't be saved. Well, today that would be prejudice. It would be bigotry. It would be racism. But in the Old Testament, that's just kind of how it was. That's a lesson for another time. But the Lord has this conversation with this lady. But you see... There was a plan. When you, you've got to broaden your scope a little bit here because God had a plan of how the gospel would be dispersed, if you like. The previous chapter, Jesus himself had said, For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Jesus said those words. And that word world is everybody. But the Lord had a plan of how that was going to happen. You see that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where he says, When you get the Holy Ghost, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, that's Israel, then in Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. That was, that was kind of the, the, the rough overview of the plan of evangelism for the New Testament church was that it would start in Israel. Then it would spread and eventually go to the uttermost part. And when you read the book of Acts, you see that's what took place. But at this point in time, Jesus was ministering to the Jews. But yet there was something about this woman. There was something about his love for lost humanity. 
that there were times that it seemed like he had trouble waiting. If I can put it though, I'm not saying that he was confused or he was at odds with, with, the, with God. That's not what I'm saying. But there was a desire in him for people's souls that even when it wasn't their time, he wanted to try and say there's something coming. There's something coming. And he spoke to her of living water. And she left her vessel at the well and she went and got the village. And they all knew who she was. And he, he, she said, come see a man that told me all these things. And he stayed and he ministered to them for a while. And we have no proof. But I like to believe that that group of people that Jesus spoke to that day were part of the foundation of the church when Philip went down to Samaria in the book of Acts and people were receiving the miraculous and being baptized in Jesus' name and then Peter and John came down and prayed for them and they received it. I believe that woman was there because even though it wasn't yet their time, Jesus was responding to the thirst of an empty vessel. There was, He said, it's not your time yet. Salvation is for the Jews. But if you knew who I was, you would ask of me. We see the same idea if you like in Matthew 15 when a woman of Canaan a Gentile another passage calls her a Syrophoenician woman she comes to the Lord and she says have mercy on me O Lord thou son of David that's a statement of his identity my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil whether she was possessed or whether she was tormented the details don't matter but it says that he answered her not a word Again, we see this, what we would call rudeness, this abruptness. And and his disciples came and said to him, will you please send her away? She's driving us nuts. She keeps crying out after us. And he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's the same kind of response he gave the woman at the well. There's, There's a process that's happening here. There's something that's going on. There's a time and a place. But then in verse 25, it says, Then came she and worshipped him. This is a Canaanite woman. She's not a Jew. Saying, Lord, help me. And then as if the rejection she's already received wasn't enough, he says, It's not the right thing to do to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. Again, you're not worthy. Salvation does not belong to you. But something in this woman said, Lord, it's true, but the dogs will eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then Jesus answered and said unto her, Woman, great is your faith. He said, Be it unto thee even as thou would. He said, You're going to get your desire. And the daughter was made whole from that very hour. Again, there was something in him, that principle that he said to his disciples, Don't say that harvest is later. It's not four months and then comes harvest. There are hungry people right now. There are vessels that are reaching for him. There are people that are saying, my daughter, my sons, my situation, my family, my marriage, I need something. And he was saying, there is a time frame, but there was something in him that was willing to respond to them. He could not ignore the desperation, the thirst in their souls. Are there really no more vessels? Hallelujah. Jesus told his disciples, don't say there are four months until the harvest. Don't be looking at this through natural eyes, is what he was saying. And he said, lift up 
your eyes and look upon the fields. My question from that is this. If they were told to lift up their eyes, where were their eyes focused when he said that? What was it that they were looking at that he had to change their focus? That he had to say, you're looking at the wrong thing. You've got to take your eyes off that and look out there. Something had their attention. It was the present. It was the everyday. It wasn't the field. And whatever it may have been, the Lord said, don't look at that, but look on the field that's ready for harvest. When we were at minister's retreat last weekend, Brother Weber, the guest speaker, was talking about the church that he pastors, the church that he planted in the town where he lives. And he, he said something that I really felt the Lord challenged me with. He said that his church, the church he pastors, not his church, but the church he pastors, was going through a time where there seemed to be a lot of problems. This, you know, there were health issues, there were problems between people, there were things just going on in the congregation that were just weighing on him as the pastor. And he went to the Lord about it. And he prayed and asked the Lord, basically, what in the world's going on? Not King James English, but that's what his prayer was. And the Lord told him that the reason that there was trouble in the house was because they had become inward focused instead of outward focused. And so with that direction from the Lord, he went back to the church and they began to focus their attention again on the empty vessels instead of the full ones and I'm not saying there isn't a place for that I think you know that well enough but when they began to lift up their eyes again and look on the field a lot of those things just disappeared they vanished amen you see when we stop looking beyond the house we become focused on the house and we start to look at what's going wrong in the house instead of focusing on the one who has the oil in the house but if we are going beyond looking for vessels to bring into the house the house is just a vehicle it's just a it's just a mechanism it's just a structure that allows us to bring people to the one who pours out the oil but it requires us to keep looking for vessels we become comfortable within the house the oil stops flowing. When the oil stops flowing, the trouble starts. Because when the oil's not flowing in the house, there's something else that begins to rain. And that's our flesh. But when we're looking for vessels, then that's our focus. It's amazing how when we take our eyes off ourselves, our lives get better. That doesn't seem to make sense because you think, but I need to take care of myself. And yes, you do. I understand that. But when you look to others, it's amazing how things go better within. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, he challenged them to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, what's interesting about that statement is it's not recorded anywhere that Jesus actually said those words. But obviously, Paul had heard them repeated by the other apostles. Every word of Jesus is not recorded in the Gospels. There are not enough chapters and verses for that. But he had obviously, that had been communicated to him that it was more that the Lord had said it was more blessed to give than to receive. 
Amen. Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? How does it make sense that I get the blessings by giving away something that I have? If I have $500 in my wallet, in case you're wondering, I don't, so don't touch my briefcase. But if I have $400 in my wallet and I give you 100 how am I blessed? I've only got $400 now. That does not make sense, naturally. But what it does is it takes my focus off myself and puts it upon the one I'm trying to help, the one I'm trying to make a difference in. We lift up our eyes. God wants us to get our heads up. He wants us to get our heads up Stop navel-gazing, if I can say that, looking at our own circumstances and why this isn't good and that isn't good and how this should change and that should change and wondering why we're not happy and we don't have joy. Do you know what one of the greatest joys you can experience is? Finding an empty vessel and watching them get filled. Finding another empty vessel. You know, it never gets old. When you go out and you find an empty vessel and you bring them in and say, I've brought another one. You bring them into the house and the giver of that oil begins to pour again. You say, that's awesome. I need to do that again. You get involved in reaching empty vessels, you'll forget about your little problems. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Let's stand together this morning. Jesus gave us an account in Luke that many of you are familiar with where a man made a great supper and invited a lot of people. And the people he invited all made excuses. Well, not all of them, but most of the people made excuses. And he could have said, oh, well, okay, we'll just downsize. We'll have an intimate dinner instead of a large party. But he told his servants, he said, go out into the streets the lanes of the city, bring in the poor, the maimed and the halt and the blind. They weren't on the original guest list. It's a little bit like the Syrophoenician woman and the woman at the well. They weren't on the original guest list. But there came a time when a new invitation was sent out. Even and the servant said the Lord said, We've done what you commanded, but you know we still haven't reached capacity. However many seats or how many settings they'd set the table for, we still haven't filled up yet. And he said, go out again to the highways, to the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. The question is, are there really no more vessels? Or are we looking too much in the house and not on the field? This is not a message to make you rejoice. This is a message I hope that stirs you, that pricks your conscience a little bit. If... The Lord has stopped pouring out His Spirit. Then He should have already come back by now. But as long as He's pouring, His return is held back. So that means that there are still more vessels that need to be filled. I want you to bow your heads if you would just close your eyes.